this morning, friends, to the book of Revelation. And um, if you've got a Bible, you'll need to be quite dexterous this morning because the nature of the series and the amount of Sundays we've got left in the year before, um, uh, particularly before the Christmas season hits us, means that um, uh, on, on both this week and next week, we're going to take two of the uh, churches together and I'm going to seek to work them in parallel. So I'm going to read a verse or two, first of all, from Revelation chapter 2, uh, beginning at verse 8, and then I'm going to take you across to Revelation chapter 3. So Revelation chapter 2 and verse 8, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your affliction and your poverty, yet you are rich. And then chapter 3 verse 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, not that Philadelphia in Pittsburgh, but this Philadelphia. Uh, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David when he opens no one can, what he opens no one can shut and what he shuts no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. I've not read the whole of those uh, letters simply to save us a little bit of time, and I will build around them. But if you've been with us over the last two or three weeks, and of course, as we said earlier, visiting ministry amongst us, we've been doing this little late autumn series called H-Mail from Jesus. Jesus communicating from heaven itself to seven literal churches in western Turkey 2,000 years ago. He's impassioned about the church. He wants the church to be at its best. He wants it to be all that he uh, designed it to be. And as we've just spent those precious moments this morning, he literally gave everything for the church. And so he writes to these churches. And we reminded ourselves in first week just who the Jesus was that was communicating these letters. And lots of people have got lots of takes on Jesus. They want to define him simply as a little baby that we think about at Christmas time, simply as a good teacher, simply as a moralist. But he's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. He holds the keys of death and Hades. And church, in these days, we need to lift our eyes and see the Jesus who we serve, the Jesus we worship this morning, the Jesus we invited to come and minister and heal and strengthen and restore, the Jesus who still saves people totally and completely, the Jesus who still destines people for his purposes. That's the Jesus who is writing these letters. And then we looked at Ephesus and we reminded ourselves of the power of first love because the challenge to this church wasn't that they didn't love Jesus but they didn't love him like they used to. And we looked at some of the, uh, we went back to Acts 19 and saw the amazing move of God in Acts 19 when the Ephesus church really began to find a momentum and how that they just laid everything out for God. And the reality is, friends, this is a great challenge to being an ongoing prevailing church in these days that we don't move away from first love. Just talking last night in our Connect group that, Uh, you know, sometimes about the decline of certain situations and churches. It doesn't happen in a week. It doesn't happen in a month. It happens when people make deliberate, heartfelt decisions to move away from where they need to be in their relationship 
with Jesus. And now we find these letters to Smyrna and Philadelphia. You'll notice this morning that actually they do work in tandem. And uh, if you, uh, we, we looked at uh, who the Jesus was, the, the title for a couple of weeks ago was First Love. And simply this morning, if you forget everything else, then the title really embodies what I'm trying to communicate. And it's simply this, faithful, faithful. Here were two churches that are in the scriptures to write to the church of today to encourage us to be faithful to our God. You'll notice that on a number of occasions in these seven letters, Jesus brings a corrective word to the church. Not to destroy the church, but to bring the church back onto track. He said to Ephesus, remember and repent and return to where you need to be. But there are two churches out of those seven that don't receive a corrective word. And it's these two churches here, Smyrna and Philadelphia. And the reality is, friends, that as we look at it this morning, you would have expected that perhaps these two churches would have been the ones that would have expected to receive a correction from Jesus. You see, we'll see in a moment that out of the seven churches, these two seem to not have a lot going for them. And if Ephesus was the Premier League, these two were in the non-leagues. They're in the lower reaches uh, because of all sorts of issues and challenges that they face. And yet they express an amazing faithfulness to God that he commended. And I want to encourage us in these moments that we've got together to do similarly. Smyrna was a beautiful city. Today, its, um, it's, uh, its modern take on Smyrna would be Ismar there in, 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 in Turkey. Philadelphia was different. It, it, as I'll come in a moment, it was on the edge of an earthquake zone. It was more of a, an industrial town. It was very different from Smyrna in terms of its makeup. But there were parallels that held them together in terms of communities of believers that said, whatever comes our way, we're going to stay true to our God. So I want you to notice firstly this morning their situation. Their situation. Notice firstly Smyrna. Jesus says, I know your afflictions. I know your persecutions. We didn't read it, but there was a religious group of people that were claiming to be of the Jews and were not. And they were described as the synagogue of Satan. They sound a nice group of people, don't they? The synagogue of Satan that opposed these people. He says that they... They, uh, they, they slandered, they spoke against the church. You know, there's an amazing power in words, isn't there? Power negatively, power positively. That's why we need to be careful what we say. Someone said once that, that uh, psychologically, in terms of what affects you inwardly, in your head, in your heart, that the power of negative words is, has, has an amazing impact upon our lives. Uh, to the extent that it has about a 13 times greater impact upon us than a positive word. And uh, we, need to be, we need to be careful of the power of words. Here was a group of people, a religious group, we don't know a lot about them, but they were slandering the church. And the thing I want you to notice about the church in Smyrna is this. Jesus says, I know your afflictions, I know your persecutions, and he said, I know your poverty, verse 9. 
Now, we can wrap that up in a number of ways. Did, did he mean spiritual poverty? No, I don't, mean, I don't think he meant spiritual poverty at all. Uh, and as we reveal later, that wasn't what he was saying. Did he mean the poverty that undermines the kingdom principles that he spoke about in the Sermon on the, of the Mount? No, he didn't mean that. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And that little phrase is often misunderstood. What was Jesus saying when he was talking about poor in spirit? He was simply saying this, friends. It's the first rule of the kingdom. He was talking about humility. He was talking about an utter dependency upon God. In other words, the kingdom begins to live out in our lives when we throw our absolute dependency upon him. Did it mean that the people were withholding from giving to God? No, there's there's no indication that they were withholding from giving to the Lord and blessing him with their giving and their offerings. No, it it literally means what it says. The root meaning of the word in the New Testament means, I know that you are destitute. For whatever reason, friends, this church in Smyrna were not materially blessed. I know that you are poor. In Luke 4 and 18, Jesus says that he's come to bring the gospel to the poor. And I understand that there's a broader meaning to all of that because every one of us outside of Jesus are poverty stricken and we need the Lord. But the church of Jesus Christ around this nation and around the world today are understanding that the prophetic mandate of God is to take the good news to the poor. And here's a church, friends, that lived in that type of environment. It may be that the city where they lived had faced economic challenge. It may be that it was just one of those places where it was difficult to survive. But I know that you are destitute. It wasn't the only church like that in the scriptures. Paul, writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 8, spoke about the church of Macedonia and says, out of their extreme poverty, weld a rich generosity. And you know, you can be in context where that is an amazing experience to be. Where you are ministering into a situation of extreme poverty, but actually you come across also extreme generosity. And this is where they were. I know that you are poor. What about Philadelphia? Well, as I've already indicated, the location of Philadelphia was challenging to say the least. They lived in an earthquake zone. They were always on the edge of maybe the threat of something unexpected and uncertain happening. And then again, it seems as though they face similar religious opposition to the people of Smyrna because there's a similar description in chapter 3 and verse 9 of this group again described as the synagogue of Satan. And then what I want you to notice is that they were also described in, in a way that wouldn't perhaps make them seem particularly attractive. Jesus says, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word. Little strength. What did that mean? Well, it means, it mean, friends, that they, they didn't seem to compare very well with Ephesus, for instance, and all the great things that were taking place in that church. Maybe they felt marginalized. Maybe they felt discouraged. Maybe they felt that because of the very geographical location of where they lived, it was always a place that was going to be looked upon 
as being difficult. But here were two churches that were seemingly living out the community of life that reflected the glory of God against all the odds. And Jesus writes to them and says, I get it. You know, if I had five pounds for every leader that said to me, it's hard where we live, you know, then I'd be a very wealthy man. And the reality is, friends, today, that whatever stands against the local church, Jesus gets it. Whatever is said against the local church, Jesus understands it. However depleted at times we may feel in our own resources, Jesus knows all about it. And where it is most difficult, it seems as though Jesus comes with an encouraging word simply to say, keep going. So not only their situation, but also secondly, their recognition. Because thankfully, Jesus was looking through a different lens to everyone else. He understood the upside down principle of the truth of the word of God that says these words in 2 Corinthians 12. That when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, the more that seems to be against us at times, friends, the more it seems to throw us upon the Lord. What did he say about Smyrna? Did he berate them for the fact that they were destitute? Did he say it wasn't because they were believing the word of God? Didn't say any of that. Did he say to them that they didn't have enough faith? Didn't say that. I think some pastors, some preachers would have said that today. It's because you've not got enough faith. Didn't say any of that. He said to them that though you are in your poverty, yet you are rich. He saw them not as poor. He saw them as rich. Clearly, friends, they weren't rich with regard to the material possessions of this world. Clearly, that was the issue. And yet, Jesus sees this church and confesses over them an amazing wealth. Because he understood the spiritual nature of what makes us really rich. Ephesians 2 verse 8, uh, sorry, Ephesians 3 verse 8 says, We have come into the unsearchable riches of Christ. Philippians 4 verse 19 says that God will meet all of our needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 8 to 19 says that we've received a glorious inheritance in the saints. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 10 says, Though we are as, as, as poor, yet making many rich. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says that of Jesus, he became poor, that we might become rich. Friends, the reality is today that your spirituality, your wealth is not determined by your material possessions. It really, really isn't. Jesus says that man's life does not consist of the abundance of possessions that he has. I mentioned this little phrase in the Tuesday group on Tuesday, last Tuesday with uh, Lisa and, and the team. And I want you to think about it for a moment. He says, measure wealth not by the things that you have, but by the things for which you would 
not take money. That's real wealth. And we live in a Western society. And we even have a gospel out there that says that your spirituality is determined by how many things that you've got. It's determined by the car that you drive. And the fact that, you know, you're in a great big house. That's what determines your spirituality. There's absolutely nothing wrong with those things. And if God blesses you with a brand new car and a great big house, absolutely fantastic. But that does not determine your wealth. What determines your wealth is your standing in Jesus. What determines your wealth, friends, is the things for which you would not take money. Paul, I'll give you a million pounds for you to recant your faith and deny that Jesus Christ has forgiven you of all your sins, past, present and future. That's what determines his wealth. It determines the things that he says, whatever you say you're going to give to me, I'm not going to be bored by the things of this world. What about Philadelphia? What about Philadelphia? He says that I know that you are weak. And then he also goes on to say in verse 8, but I know of your deeds. I know of your works. And because of your works, I placed an open door before you. He says, I know of your deeds I know that you have little strength, and yet you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. He goes on to say to them in verse 10 that we are to keep his commandments to endure patiently. The reality is, friends, that these two churches summon it up against all the odds, against everything that was thrown about against them, against people that were in their community speaking against them, against the fact that one of them lived in destitution and the other one lived seemingly with little strength in a volatile geographical location. They had been amazingly faithful. What is faithfulness? Well, someone says that faithfulness is the cornerstone of God's reckoning. It's... Faithfulness means steadfast. Faithfulness means that we're reliable. Faithfulness means that we're immovable. Faithfulness means that we're consistent. It means that we love God this week, we love God next week, we love God this month, we love God next month, we love God this year, we love God next year. Friends, we're not living on the edge of packing God in. That's not the faithful heart. That's not the faithful spirit. Faithfulness says... Wherever we live, whatever faces us, whatever comes our way, whatever people say against us, however much we ridicule for the faith, we are going to stay true to Jesus. And I want to say, friends, leaving aside what Christians inspired us with this morning, I'll come back to that in a moment, this nation needs a faithful church in this day. Because the reality is that the secular liberal agenda of our nation may yet bring us to a place where people say, oh no, no, you, you can't say in your church that Jesus is the only way to God. Oh, oh, you can't say. And the reality is, friends, there are people out there with an agenda to legislate about what the Christian church can do and say. What we're going to do? What we're going to do if that comes? What are we going to do if people stand against What are we going to do, friends, if it's really going to start getting costly to be a believer? What are we going to do if people speak vile things against arena church? What are we going to do if the synagogue of Satan finds itself out there saying all sorts of things that not only we haven't done, we've not even thought? What are we going to do? 
I trust we're going to be faithful. Faithful to the Lord's. Faithful to the Lord's people. Faithful to the word of God. Faithful to the small things. Because Luke 16, 10 says that if you don't prove faithful in the small things, forget the big things. You see, the more God does big things in people's lives, the more he gets impassioned about the small things. And I can say from personal experience, it's absolutely true. Any of the big things, seemingly big things that God wants to do in my life, he seems to get awfully interested in the small things. He seems to be very impassioned about me dealing with the small things of my life and proving faithful in those before I can move on to the big things. And the local church is an amazing training ground for us to give ourselves faithfully to the small things. You may want to preach to the nations of the earth, but God's saying, tell you what, it'd be great if you stacked a few chairs without being asked. That'd be fantastic. It'd be great if you put that yellow bib on in the middle of January to do the car parking duty and you got perishing cold. That would be fantastic. Let's start there. And then we'll see where we're going to go with preaching to the nations. Faithful in the small things. And these churches got it. They got it. They got it. And finally, friends, their exhortation. No repentance. No correction. Nothing from Jesus to bring them back into line. Just a stirring word to continue on the journey. I think it's appropriate, and I didn't orchestrate this. I've spoken to Christine this week. And the initiation from the petition comes from Kath Richardson that's got a heart for the persecuted church, and we thank God for that. But it fits in very well with signing your name. So all you've got to do is just sign your name on that petition out of a spirit of solidarity with the Christian church around the world. You see, today, friends, there are over 200 million Christian believers in over 60 nations of the earth that have their human rights violated simply because they believe in the Jesus we believe in that's today if I told you what the figures were friends for people that have been martyred for the faith in 2010 you'd be staggered staggered because the reality is that most people don't live like us we live in a western bubble and the fact of the matter is that a third of the world's population 2 billion people live on the equivalent of 2 dollars a day and a lot of them are believers they live in destitution. But you know what Jesus says over them? You're rich. You're rich. There's amazing wealth. And there are people, friends, that live in all sorts of locations like Philadelphia that bring uncertainty and insecurity. And sometimes they feel so weak, and yet they have not denied his name. And Jesus still runs to those churches today. And says, keep going. I love your faithfulness. Now hear me. We live in a Western culture. Where lots of people have mortgages and have to go around in cars to make life work. And pay utility bills and get clothes for the kids. And go to shopping malls and all that stuff. I'm not, I'm not bagging any of that, friends. I really am not. But that doesn't define your spirituality. And I, I, really am, I, I, I really cannot, I really, really cannot identify with a gospel that says that the blessing of God 
is identified by material possessions. I really do not find it in the scriptures. And here's the challenge. God may raise up people in our church with amazing wealth to bless the kingdom of God. But what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? What if it means that you've got to rent? I've, I've got minister friends, minister friends of mine. I won't mention any names. But minister friends of mine that know they will never be able to afford to buy a house. They rent. And the reason for that, friends, is choices. And the choices are that, Lord, whatever it's going to cost us, we're going to serve you in ministry. I've got a minister friend of mine who went on mission in his late 50s. So I mentioned no names again. Some of you will know him. And he went to serve in another nation for several years. And the reality was that the only way that he could do that was to sell the property that he had for a number of years and sink the money into the mission. And they came back and he now lives in a rented accommodation and will for the rest of his life. He shared the story once in the church and a young lady berated him at the end for being so irresponsible. How could you possibly put yourself in this position at that time of your life? She didn't get it. She completely didn't get it. Just went straight over her head. Because she was determined by a value, friends, that says, you've got to do, 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 you know. And it's all going to be sorted out. Sort of God's a little bit there, you know, so I can sort all these things. I just didn't get it. And the reality is today, friends, that I think God loves churches like Smyrna. I think he loves churches like Philadelphia. That despite everything that would stand against them, just keep running to God. What did Jesus say to Smyrna? He says, don't be afraid. Be faithful. And some of the songs that Paul and the team have led us in this morning, again, no collusion. I don't know what songs they were going to play. Maybe I should have done. But some of the songs that Paul's just waited on God for this morning just fit right in with where we're at. That first song that we sang about trusting God. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God. That song that says, oh no, never let go. Through the calm, through the storm, in every high and every low. Oh no, Lord, never let go of me. Do not be afraid, but be faithful. I don't find in Smyrna, friends, that there was a promise from Jesus that said, ha, yeah, what's going to happen, guys, is that because uh, you've been faithful to me, it's all going to turn around. And we find in verse 12 that, there's all like a Job-like situation. It all comes good. You read it. What he actually promised them was that they were going to go through a period of opposition. He says 10 days there. Most Bible commentators think that's symbolically speaking about a period of time. Polycarp, one of the great early Christian leaders, was thought to have been the pastor of the Smyrna church at one time. He said these words. He said, I'm 86 years of, of age. I have served Jesus and he never did me wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? And so Jesus didn't say to these people, tell you what guys, it's all going to turn around and it's all going to end up happy ever after. He says, actually, it's probably going to get a bit worse. But be faithful unto me. You see, this church seemingly was poor, but was incredibly rich. What about Philadelphia? He said to them in verse 11, hold on to what you have. There was no call here to repentance. There was an encouragement to be resolute. 
And brothers and sisters, around this relatively small congregation this morning, God has sown in some amazing things. There are people here that have been Christians 20, 30, 40 years, and God has been sowing so many things into your life, things that are rich, things that spill out to bless other people, experiences, understandings of spiritual value. And God says to you this morning, hold on to what you have. He goes on to say to those people that if you do that, I will make you a pillar in, 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 in my name. I'll make you a pillar. And there was an interesting uh, take on that, a pillar in the temple of God. What was he doing? Well, he was sort of saying, hang on, guys, you live in a place where the buildings could come crashing down any time. But if you'll follow me, you'll know such an incredible stability and security. It'll be amazing. And he goes on to affirm the relationship and the identification they have with Jesus when he says, I will write your name in the book of life. And out of all of that, he set before them an open door. And Arena Church, friends, has had some open doors set before it in recent times. Sometimes they've taken us by surprise. Sometimes they've happened very quickly. And I believe today that churches that are faithful, churches that seemingly though at times are, are living against the odds, if those sorts of churches will remain faithful, God will open some extraordinary open doors of favour that other places will say, well, how did you do that? And how did you afford that? And how have you been able to minister to that? And how's that happened? And it's all because of God. So what about churches in a modern area? In a modern area. Sometimes seemingly dismissed as poor and enfeebled. And yet the exact opposite, rich and strong. I want you to grab the heart of what God is saying this morning to these churches. They were all of that because they were true to their Lord. Friends, I'm I'm not a a negative ministry at all. I hope you understand that. I'm not a doom monger. I'm not always sort of searching for a scripture. Oh yeah, that's going to happen. But the reality is we better face up to the fact that to be a Christian in the United Kingdom in the 21st century is going to be a challenge. The battle is not going to go away. The opposition to people that confess Jesus Christ as Lord is going to intensify. The spirit of the synagogue of Satan is out there to slander the people of God. How are we going to deal with it? We feel so poor. We feel so weak. Jesus says, actually, you're rich. And you're strong. And in the pressing challenges of our day, friends, let's be all that God has called us to be. And all to him says, oh Jesus, I have promised to serve you to the end. Be thou forever near me, my master and my friend. I shall not fear the battle if you are by my side nor wander from the pathway if you will be my guide and Matthew 25 23 speaks about people standing before Jesus on the eternal day it doesn't say well done good and successful servant it says well done good and faithful servant you've just become a Christian you've realised that becoming a Christian 
doesn't always mean that it's a walk in the park. You become a Christian and people have said things about to you that they'd never said to you before you became a Christian. You've been a Christian 20, 30, 40 years. You're going through some experiences that are challenging. As Arena Church, Ilkeston, Mansfield faces up to ministering out the good news of Jesus into challenging contexts. There are all those issues before us. And sometimes we may feel we've got nothing going for us. Jesus comes close to those churches and said, if you will stay faithful, see the open doors, swing wide open, let's pray. I want to say, friends, that if you've never, ever become a Christian, never given your life to Jesus Christ, then I want you to come and just speak to me afterwards. Say, Phil, I, I need to become a Christian. I need to commence this journey of faithfulness. And I'll happily pray with you before we go for teas and coffees. And for those of us that are believers today, let's just take a moment of quiet just to allow the word of God just to find a place in our heart thinking about your work context for some of you going back to uh, an environment where there's no other believer you, you can't talk about the message uh, you can't talk about people we've prayed for uh, there's an antipathy in your home to the gospel you're going to go back to that uh, for some of you that literally this week live within a spiritual context of the synagogue of satan uh, people that will take every opportunity to take the rip out of you because you're a believer. For some of the challenges that some, some of you, you know about, some of them you don't know about, that we face as a church, to see the gospel advance in this community. I've got to be careful on tape, but um, you know, sometimes just by repurposing a church, if you think everybody thinks it's a great idea, think again. now we're going to respond well I'm determining friends and I know that you are to be faithful not just this week not just this month not oh God let's just get through the end of 2010 but to the end whenever the end may be and for young people across this congregation this morning in the purpose of God 40, 50 years in front of you Saying, God, I am going to be faithful to you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well, thank you for your presence amongst us this morning. And if we forget everything else that's been said in the ministry, may that word resound in our hearts that we may be faithful.